Today's reading is Hebrews 11:32 through 12:3. It can be found on page 1115 of the Bibles next to your seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Sam- Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute and persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. God of grace, thank you so much for uh, a place in our lives where we can listen in on... um, Words that come from the outside and tell us things that we wouldn't see ourselves and wouldn't make up on our own. That's what we are hoping happens here. And we might come with lots of questions and doubts about that. We might come with lots of hesitations and downright objections to a lot of what is in this book and a lot of what is in the Christian faith. And others of us might come just in the... We don't have those big lofty questions right now. We just have the desperation of the moment, looking for your help, looking for your presence to be real. And others of us come thankful because you've answered prayers in a way we didn't know was possible. Others come having had a day once when you were real and feeling like you're a million miles away. And from all these places, we look now to the same story and the same message. And for you to do what seems almost impossible, that you would teach all of us through your grace in such a way that we would have transformed lives walking out of this place in a sense that we met you and you had good things to tell us about life. We ask that you teach us now through your grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, you know, we're talking about courage today. Every week there's always uh, all kinds of things that bombard us and that uh, try to spark fears in us. This week there's headlines about the... A couple of headlines this week. So there's the rate of mass killings in the United States during the Obama administration um, is higher than any other president so far. So 
we live in a world that's pretty unsafe and that there's the reality that out there there's lurking these very violent human forces and who knows what city is next. They're from the Center for Disease Control. Again, they've, they've blessed us with, uh, uh, with a memo this week that basically says that um, because of antibiotic usage, that we're on the cusp of some kind of antibiotic-resistant superbug, and we're just, you know, at any time, um, the killer superbug could uh, make its way into our population. We've got news like this always, and those are just two stories this week. And the temptation is, you hear, you hear these things, and there's a part of us, no matter who you are, there's at least, at least some part of you that wants to shrink back a little bit. There's some part of you that says, you know, let's, let's you know, bolt the windows and keep the kids off the front lawn, let's stay indoors, let's shrink back, let's isolate, let's do something, certainly there's something we can do to protect ourselves. If, our, if living in one of the most uh, desirable, historically speaking, one of the most desirable uh, societies ever in terms of safety and, and way of life and healthcare. If if we're still sitting there with all these forces that we can't control that terrify us, um, perhaps we can manage our own lives. Perhaps we can protect ourselves. And so most of us, to some degree, want to shrink back a little bit. And then there's, amidst all that shrinking back, there's the Hewitt family in South Africa. Last month, the Hewitt family. So there, are, uh, a lot of you heard this story as well. The Hewitt family is a middle class family in South Africa which means they're, they're a white family, and they chose to live the entire month of August, leave all their possessions behind, and live in a shack in a, in a township with their black neighbors who were impoverished. So they left behind their cars, they left behind their toilets, they left behind running water, um, hot showers, and they took their children, Julia, age four, and Jessica, two, um, who were actually allowed, I think this is, this is really mean, they allowed them to have only one book between the two of them, and that was basically what they had to take with them. But kidding aside, so there, of course, there's all this sparking of conversations and debate and outrage, and, and they took heat from their parents as well. So Mr. Hewitt's parents were horrified, says this New York Times article, horrified that he decided to bring their young granddaughters to live in a township. After all, the Hewitts lived in a gated community, the kind of place where the wealthy shielded themselves from South Africa's violent crime epidemic. But the couple insisted that their children should learn to cross South Africa's ever-present boundaries of race and class. Mr. Hewitt said, people might say it is irresponsible to bring children, but I would say it is irresponsible to raise children in this country who can't cross boundaries. Now, wherever you end up landing on the, the Hewitt family's actions and all the debate that there is, you should look into it if you're curious because there's a lot of different angles to it. You've got to admit that, that in there, in that family, they found some courage. There's, there's definitely some courage operating there that led them to do something that none of their friends, none of their peers were doing and put their own children's lives at greater risk for the danger of this world to come on. So where did they get that courage? What's going on? In all of us, quite frankly, it might not be that dramatic, but all of us have opportunities for courage, to overcome fears, to keep pushing through the dangers that face us. I mean, hopefully, once in a while, uh, you know, some of you do things that amazing and great, but there's, off, there's just the everyday little things. For you to have courage, there's endless opportunities every day for you to take courage into the challenges and dangers and the fears, quite frankly, that you face. One person comes uh, here this morning and you've got a work situation that you really need to speak into. Somebody needs to say something. 
or it's in your family or, or in your neighborhood. Somebody has to say something. There's an injustice. If you don't talk, things aren't going to go well. But if you do talk, you know it's going to come back on you in some way. So there's a legitimate you know, danger, risk on yourself, opportunity for courage. Some of you are in dating situations or pursuing dating and maybe you're getting just disgruntled by the whole dating process. You're single and how long is this going to take? Or you're in relationships and in some way there's, um, there are things that you're starting to wonder or you already have wondered long ago if you should compromise. Maybe standards in the person that you're looking for. Maybe how much of yourself you give away and how soon. And it takes real courage to meet the fears of I'm going to be alone forever and ever and ever. Um, I'm, you know, maybe I'm not as attracted, attractive as I thought I was or I think I should be. Maybe I need to you know, do this or do that. Courage. You have the courage. Or even just, you know, just always folks on the edge of becoming a Christian and trying to figure out, if I become a Christian, is that going to mean this for this part of my life? Is that going to mean this for that part of your life? Pretty much pick an area of your life and somebody's struggling with, if I become a Christian, is it going to mean that now I let kind of faith dictate what happens over there? I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't think I'm ready for that. That sounds awful. In many ways, the answer is yes. God's grace does begin to want its way in all parts of your life. But it's going to take incredible courage to step into that and to actualize what that means in the Christian faith, or tithing. Take tithing, the idea that you would give to God of what he's given you, 10%, the traditional Christian, some of you have heard this, the traditional Christian approach to tithing, give 10% of your income up front when the paycheck comes, and then figure the rest of the bills out later. That's terrifying. That's absolutely terrifying. Is there going to be enough for travel? Is there going to be enough for kids' college education? Is there going to be enough for direct TV after I do that? What, you know, is there going to be enough for all these things? Courage. And, and quite frankly, in a room of, of people this size, there's going to be at least somebody who's got, in some sense, a nudge in your life that you feel from the outside that I would put it as a calling, that at some point you'll probably say it's a calling as well, but there's some sense that God is pushing you or nudging you to reach out to someone, to pour your life into someone or some cause or something, or just a bigger life direction call, and, and it's very easy to put the earmuffs on and to not listen to that call because it's going to mean this and this and this, and you know that it's going to mean all of that. There's going to be some loss in security. There's going to be loss in time. There's going to be loss in, in you know, things that you get to do with your life, but that voice won't go away, and it's going to take real courage to face up what is that going to mean. So all of us have, in some way, this is courage. Courage uh, basically says you have some fear in your life that's getting in the way of, of what you really, really if in your heart of hearts, there's a desirable course of action, but the fear is getting in the way. And um, as people handed in cards and commented on what they def- how they define courage, someone put it very well. They put it like this. Courage uh, is not that you're not afraid, It's when you go ahead even when you're afraid and you do what needs to be done. I mean, if you go back to the classic definitions of courage of like um, Cicero, Plato, Aquinas, they all have three elements, and that's already right there in that quote. They all have the elements of there's a a dedication to a principle, a commitment to a principle. There's um, legitimate fears or danger if you follow through on that principle. And then there's this third element of acting on the principle in spite of the danger. There's the commitment to something, 
there's a danger and there's acting in spite of that. How do you get the courage to walk through that process in your life? And this passage that we read here tells us all about courage. The Christian life tells you about courage, and that is that in Jesus there is a courage that's possible to allow for the life that you imagine. In Jesus, there's courage to live like you imagine, and, and we're going to hit uh, three things. No big surprise, but there's three aspects of this we want to hit, and the first two are the faulty, the faulty approaches to courage, and the third is the genuine. So there's, there's the don'ts and there's the do. So don't exaggerate your capability to be inspired, number one. Second, don't minimize the danger you face, and third, do apply the gospel to your fears. Let's look at the first one. Don't exaggerate your capability to be inspired. When you look at Hebrews 11, it's the chapter of the heroes of faith. It's, uh, it's these old legendary stories of these people who conquered with faith. It's the heroes. And what's actually surprising about this, it's really easy to read this passage wrong. What's surprising about it is that it's not saying, here are your models for courage. Look at these people. Let them inspire you to have courage. It actually is not really going that direction. Um, John F. Kennedy, before he became president, he wrote a book called uh, Profiles in Courage. And he highlighted eight U.S. senators th- who throughout history, um, they crossed party lines or they defied the opinion of their constituents to do what they felt was right, and they suffered severe criticism and backlash and losses in popularity because of their actions. So he titles the book Profiles in Courage. Is that what we need? Do we need a list of people to inspire us? Some of you might say, our, you know, our senators today could use some, you know, some profiles in courage. Is that what we need? Is that, is that all we need? Just give me more examples. Give me some stories of courage. They'll inspire me. I'll see it, and I'll know I have what it takes now. I just have to do what that person did. I don't know. When I was a kid, there was some contest where it was a, it was a bit of a, an artistic theatrical contest um, and you're, you know, you're supposed to stand up in front of the class and, and give this presentation of something you've memorized and do it dramatically. And I entered into this, and I, I was not good at it. I was very afraid to be in front of people and to talk. And um, so I had this thing memorized, and, but there was um, this way more talented person in the class. I didn't know he was this good until this day. But you had to get up in front of the class, and you were in a competition. You were going to get picked to go to the next venue with other kids who were picked. And he was so good. This is Dwayne Dulleslager. That's his name. Great name, too, right? And Dwayne just had this theatrical persona. He had absolutely no fear of being in front of people. You know, he's probably a stand-up comic or, you know, um, speech, giving speeches around the world somewhere right now. But So this guy, I mean, he just had it all. And he, he was before me. So he stood up before me, and he did this great thing. And I just knew I was toast. You know, I knew I was going to stand up there and be embarrassed and fumble through my lines and forget stuff, and that's exactly what happened. And, of course, I didn't win, right? I didn't move on. But I'll tell you, watching Dwayne Dulleslager right before I went up, that didn't help me at all. <laughs> In fact, it had the, obviously, right, it had the opposite effect. He had the, you know, I could look at him and say, you know, now I should have that kind of courage in front of people. Um, I'm going to be just like him. and do, In fact, I'm going to be better. No, I felt off. I felt terrible. It was like I was exposed. It didn't tell me, watching him, watching an example of courage, it didn't tell me where he got that from. I didn't know what I had to do. I didn't know how he got that or how I would get it. So models are great, and I hope 
you know, any way you can make the courageous decision in your life at any minute, anything that helps, go for it. But I'm just going to say that I think there's a limitation to models. And I think that that's in this passage as well, because in the end, when you get to chapter 12, and we've just reviewed all these people, and, and there's a whole bunch that went before the passage we read, and then there's a few that are mentioned quickly in the passage we read. And then what are they called? They're not called models. It doesn't say, now look at all these models and do like them. It says, therefore, verse 1 of chapter 12, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Witnesses. Witnesses are people who have seen something or experienced something else and are here now to tell you about it. So what have they experienced? That's what you want to look at, not just them. What are they pointing to? They're heroes of faith. Well, what do they have faith in that you need to have the same kind of courage? So first of all, just, just beware of the exaggerated emphasis on looking to a model of courage and for that being the end all for how you're going to be courageous. The second thing, the fallacy that we do is we, we minimize the danger that's out there as a way of getting through a situation. Oh, it's not really that bad. There's really no danger. That's not the Christian faith. In fact, um, you know what that is? That's a great movie, The Three Amigos. Have you seen that one? <laughs> Steve Martin... Uh, Martin Short, Chevy Chase are the three amigos, and they're actors, of course. They're Hollywood actors who pretend to be brave and courageous, and then they get in this fight, um, this sort of gun battle, and they think it's just another, you know, another movie set, and the guys are real. And they get shot. One of Steve Martin's character gets shot, falls off his horse, and he, and he touches himself, and it's, it's blood, and he looks so confused. And he goes up to the guy, and he looks at his gun, and he says, Oh, oh no, real bullets? You're in trouble, mister. You know, and then he goes back to the, th- the you know the other two amigos, and, and they all just start crying, right? So they don't have real courage. It's it, it's a fake. They live in a fake land where there's this invisible barrier, and re- there won't be real bullets in this in this barrier. And I wonder if there's some parallel in our lives with respect to how we imagine ourselves getting through this life amidst all the dangers that are out there, or the troubles that are out there, or just the the the, the fears you have if you step forward in courage in some issue in your life. Do you think? If you're a Christian, you'll really believe and you'll really know that you're going to get through it just fine and the danger won't touch you and there won't be real bullets. That's actually not the Christian promise. That's not the Christian promise. You notice the list? It's a terrifying list of people that are mentioned, even in the part we just read. I mean, one person gets off great. You know, he goes into a den of lions and they shut their mouths and, you know, that person has courage and he wins. And then what, well, what else might happen? Well, you might get sawed in half. I don't know if you caught, if you were listening carefully. Just kind of thrown in there with a list of things. Some people are sawed in half. Um, you know, so you might be victorious over a group of lions or you might get sawed in half, you know. But, but be courageous. <laughs> you know, so I mean, you get the point that this isn't a list. Both, both outcomes are mentioned. You have the people who it goes well with them and you have the people that it just absolutely doesn't. And the point is look to them and find courage. There's no promise that you walk into this Christian faith and because of this new commitment, God's going to reward you and protect you and put that shield, that sort of suburban, you know, South African neighborhood fenced-in gated community shield around you. There's no promise of that. That's not the Christian gospel. Um, And quite frankly, sometimes when we're young, if those of you who are on the younger end of the spectrum, when you're younger... Um, you, tend to, you tend to buy into this a little easier, that you, know, you haven't hit any problems yet in life that you really can't solve, and you, know, you haven't run into things coming back at you and having no way to get through it. You're young, 
or young in faith, in a sense, and still imagining that things are just going to go all okay. Um, but it's a little bit naive. And it's not courage. Um, so we move on. What is courage? Courage in the Christian faith is applying the gospel to your fears. The Christian faith doesn't promise, hey, there's going to be a wall protecting you from danger. The Christian faith doesn't promise you um, that, you know, you're going to have models and Jesus is going to be your model and just follow the model and you'll be okay. It doesn't promise you the inspiration. It doesn't promise you the protection. What it does is this. This is the key. This is absolutely the key to the Christian courage. I think it's summarized best in 1 John 4, verse 18. It's on page 1131. I'll just read this one verse. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Perfect love drives out fear. If you ever find yourself in, and you're in a fearful situation, you're in a worrying situation, and if you're cognizant enough to identify the challenge of courage that, that is before you, and you feel like, quite frankly, like a chicken, <laughs> like, like I feel so much of the time, like we all feel, this passage tells you perfect love, the perfect love that God brings you in Jesus, it drives out all fear. What it means is if you're, if you're in a place where you're being an absolute chicken about this, what you need to do, it means you're very far from the love that is available to you. It means basically that your life is, is, um, is so far and out of touch with the gospel, with the, the perfect love that is offered to you, that it's not in operation, that it's not driving out the fears the way it should. Keep going back to this verse over and over in your life because you have fears every day. How can the perfect love of Jesus be stronger in my life so that it's, it's, it's proactively driving out the fears? They just don't have the power over me anymore that they used to. How can I get that perfect love more in my life? Well, it's right there. It's always available. It's like this resource. It's like this huge storehouse of courage that every Christian has available all the time. And most of the time, we're just not tapping into it. It's just readily available. It's done. It's finished. And the reason you have it is because God, not because Jesus was your model of courage and showed you how to be courageous, although you could go that route and you could get pretty far, but it won't take you all the way. What, what happened in Jesus is that God's courage saved you and brought you a perfect love that can come into the center of your life that you, there's no courage in the world that could attain it by yourself. That's already yours by the courage that God brought to the situations. A lot of churches will tell you that you need to be courageous in order to climb up to God, basically, is the message you get. A lot of religions tell you that. A lot of churches tell you that. And the gospel works in reverse. The courage of God to come down the mountain and meet us in our brokenness, in our vulnerability, in our unsafety. That's what gives you all you need to be courageous in this world. That's what has made you... Let me explain it this way. Um, in Romans chapter 5, verse 7, um, the word courage comes up, and it says this, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. And then it goes on to say, But God demonstrates his love for us in this. We, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you notice the word dare is in there. That's the same word for courage that we're talking about. 
God dared to die in our place. And basically it's this. Um, in Jesus, God entered in, had the courage to enter in to absolute vulnerability and unsafety. What Jesus was doing was he's the son of God coming to us and when he, when he allows himself to be arrested and go to the cross, he's allowing every last layer and barrier of protection of safety to be removed one at a time until finally he found, finds himself absolutely vulnerable and, and at the mercy of anyone who might walk by and people are just hurling insults at him. He's naked. I mean, he has no layer of protection left. He goes into the heart of uns- he has a courage to go into the heart of unsafety in a way your courage could never take you. So that your greatest fear no longer has power in your life. And what is our greatest fear? Our, there are all kinds of fears every day that you can have. There's fear about money, fear about security, there's fears about the world and disease and all these things. You know what? If you're a Christian, your greatest fear should be you should be tempted once in a while, like we all are because we're human, you should be tempted once in a while to to wonder if you're going to be in some way cut off from the safety of God, from the safe protection of God. As human beings, we should, in a sense, our natural deepest fear, when I use the word should, I'm just saying we should have it our deepest fear. It should be one of the deepest ones is that we're cut, cut off from God. There's all kinds of other fears we have. You should be tempted to have that fear because that's the worst thing that could happen is that you could get completely cut off from God. And on the cross, that fear is totally driven out and eradicated because Jesus enters into being cut off from God in your place. So that forever now, Christians say, you know, grace comes to you before you do anything to deserve it. Because Jesus went there and he was completely cut off in your place. Now God's arms are open. His arms of protection are ready and wrapped around you before you even ask for it. Okay? So that if your deepest fear, really, if you're fearing things, your deepest fear should be, I'm cut off from God. That'd be the worst thing possible. But guess what? That's already been dealt with. What do you have to fear? Do you see how perfect love drives out fear? That's how the gospel works. Um... A Christian doesn't say, I can, right? That's a more of a, oh, our world would encourage you to have the courage to say, I can do it. The Christian says, God did it. Um, and so take that out into your life and see how it makes a difference. A lot of the fears that we might have about voicing something in a workplace that we need to voice, about behaving a certain way in dating relationships or in marriage that we, we know we should be behaving a certain way or becoming a Christian, or tithing, or helping someone that we feel called to help, or following some calling. All of the fears that go along with each one of those things, they pale in comparison to what we have. And you know what? Even if any of those things did happen, even if you met the ridicule of the world, even if the Hewitt family, um, you know, if you're the Hewitt family and with faith and courage you're going to live in the slums because you just feel called to do that, even if something terrible happens, uh, some crime or danger to your family, the Christian would say, that, that's going to be horrible, that's going to be painful, but that's, not, that's nothing compared. You can't take away my ultimate security. It's already locked in and sealed by the perfect love that came to me in the cross. Do you see what I mean when I say you're living apart from the gospel if you don't have courage to bring to those fears? If those fears are taking over, 
Just ask yourself, how do I get closer to the gospel? How do I move closer to God? How do I open up my life and my ears and my time to absorb more of the grace of God that I need right now to get me through these challenges? And of course, I have to, I have to give one caveat really to this that I think is really important. It has to do with the difference between our culture and the biblical version of courage. It's a little bit of a side, but I just think it's really important before I close. Our courage, our cultural version of courage is very self-motivated. The Christian version of courage is selfless and sacrificial. Let me say it again. The Christian version is sacrificial. The, the cultural version is self-interested. So that the cultural version says, have the courage to chase down your dreams. And the Christian version says, chase down your neighbor and their dreams. The self-motivated cultural version says, follow your heart. The sacrificial Christian version says, follow your savior. The culture tells you, follow, uh, you, can, you can be whatever you want to be. And uh, the Christian version says, you can serve whoever God puts in your life. See, there's a difference. Do you have courage? And do you have the Christian version? There's, I'm going to leave you with a, a, a little kind of picture of courage to go with. And the reason I'm leaving it with you is because it's been really bugging me and eating away at me once I read it. And it's time to pass it on to you and let it eat away at you a little bit. So I give you the gift of, of something that's been, been really good for me to chew on. So I was uh, flipping through a book that I once read and really loved called Disciple by Juan Carlos Ortiz. And I, and I just had this thought, oh, I'm going to read like, his concluding paragraphs. How did he end that book again? So I went and I read. It's called Disciple. And, uh, and he writes that basically being a Christian and the courage of a Christian is like being out in the water. It's like having the courage to go out into the water. And he says, most of us are in water up to our ankles. He says, you must get into the river until you do not feel the bottom, until you are taken by the river. The river of God takes us out because it goes where God goes. He says, a lot of our problem is because we are still touching the, bo- still touching the bottom so we can kind of lead the Holy Spirit where we want it to go. But when you are floating, the river takes you where it wants you to go. Let us pray. God, there's probably some incredible challenges in our world that are represented in this room today that if we just had courage, if we could just act as if the things that we're worried about and fearful about, if we could just act like they really aren't our treasure, like they really don't matter and they aren't our security, someone could objectively look at, at the effect, the ripple effect of what could happen from this room and just be astonished at the marked difference in our world. And we are so weak, we ask that you just give us a tiny drop of what's possible. That you would just give us enough faith, at least some of the time, that we would be more courageous. And that we would find ways, please use this church, to find ways to get the gospel of grace, the the perfect love, deep into our lives, so that it flows out into the courage of the choices we need to make. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.